Spies are more common than we think, and the best spies are very, very boring. If we keep looking for Austin Powers and James Bond, we're going to miss the bureaucrats, the politicians, and the secretaries that make a very good living selling our secrets to the enemy. Was Alger Hiss a spy? Maybe. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here for you this week with another episode full of historical crime. And boy, this is as historical as it gets and political. And there's just, there's just, it's everything. This is everything. So we're going to get to that real quick. But first we have Rays of Light. I actually want to go first and I'm just going to real quick name off three things, two of which I'm not going to give any context for. Okay. Thing the first, I am wearing space pants. That's all you get. That's all I'm telling you. Thing the second, I quick pickled some cherry tomatoes along with some peppers and cucumbers this week, and they are amazing. Oh, my God. I'm just going to eat them all, and then they're very spicy, so then I'm going to drink a lot of water. And thing the third, the biggest thing, friend of the show, Chris Garcia, had me on his brand new podcast, Short Story, Short Podcast, and we talked about a short story I think by the time this episode goes live, that should be out there in the world, and I will make sure to post links, but we had such a fun conversation. It's just, we introduce a story, give a few, you know, paragraphs of it, and you can read the rest on your own. You, you have eyes and, you know, reading comprehension, and then we talk for five minutes, and that's it. It's a short story and a short podcast, and it was super fun. I had a great time, and our thoughts are definitely with Chris right now um, as he deals with the uh, evacuation from the California fires. So, uh, thinking of you, Chris. <laughs> All right. He gets to stay at Doubletree, though. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he does. And apparently his brother also got five horses and a mule out of the deal. We were we were chatting earlier today. Is he, and... is he a freed slave? What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess people who couldn't fit their horses in their trailers were like, if you can take the horse just to save its life, you know, if you if you can fit it, you can take it. And he's like, I'll take it. And the, the mule actually is the emotional support animal of one of the horses. Oh my goodness. I know. <laughs> Oh, it was, it was, I didn't, I, that was fantastic to me, so. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys should know that we're back on video again. Uh, we, we were avoiding it for a long while because of some recording issues we had, and it is nice to be able to see the faces as we record, so this is great. So, Amber, ray of light. Um... My ray of light is I, I've had a I've had a crazy week, so I don't even know. So we had kindergarten orientation, which is very exciting, very scary. Um, but I think that's gonna be my ray of light because I I think my I think Kennedy did great. I think she's ready. So we sat down after we got our temperatures taken and we, we got a layout of the school and then they took all of the children away. And I was like, Oh no, she's gonna panic because I told her I'd be with her the whole time. And she was the first one out the door. Like, didn't even look back. She was ready. 
and she got a tour of the school and she got to go on a school bus and check it out and got to know where everything is and all the stuff she was going to need. And she, she had a good time and was away from me the whole time and was perfectly fine. That's awesome. But I did, they were re in a reading circle and, and we went to get the kids and she was the only one standing up, apparently arguing about what book was being read. And I was like, yeah, that's my kid. That sounds about like, right. Yeah, that's, that's very <laughs> Kennedy. <laughs> like I round the corner, I can he see her just standing hands on the hips and her head bobbing as she's telling the teacher off. And I'm like, this is going to be a long year. Like, <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, so that's my ray of light. <laughs> Yay, Scott. Ray of light. I got I got one ray of light, and then I've got an embarrassing story. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so my ray of light, uh, my four, uh, my uh, first feature length film that I'm in will be released on the YouTube channel SBJTV. That is Sierra Brava Junkyard Tango Violence. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, I know all those aren't quite the same. But I do a Close little enough. bit of I do a little bit of voice acting in Bad Girls, which is about two detectives uh, out to protect two young females who are being stalked and harassed by a man who has a criminal history of sexual harassment, rape, and murder. Guess who I play? <laughs> one that of the guy? bad girls. Uh -huh. she, <laughs> I do not play one of the bad girls. I play the murder rapist harasser. Um, to get their Good leads for on, you. I know somebody. <laughs> somebody had to. So to get their leads on the case, they pretend to dress up as the two victims in order to solve the case. So that is, uh, that's coming out August 22nd on SBJTV. And Christy, Amber, I had a dream about the podcast last night. Oh, oh boy. Keep in mind, I was very sick. And whenever, whenever you're kind of sick, the dreams get a little bit out of control. So whenever you said, let's do video this week, it fucking worried me to no end oh no oh no i dreamt we did the podcast we did it in video and we were streaming and something happened that my computer froze up and you'd forgot to hang up and you and jackson were getting a little frisky and i'm like <laughs> i'm like trying to call you on the phone going christy you're fucking streaming you forgot to hang up right and finally like like, it's getting to the point where, like, I don't want to see Christy like this. And I slam my computer. And I hear Amber go, I'm still watching. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm trying to call you. And I can see you going, it's just Scott calling. We'll get it after. And it's like, God damn it, Christy. Hang up the goddamn computer. Stop it. Christy, answer the goddamn phone. And, like, finally, you realize, and you, I just hear from my closed computer, oh, my God. And I said, I didn't see anything. And Amber goes, I didn't see anything either. And uh, the last thing I remember before waking up is Christy saying, Scott, I believe you. Amber, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it is hilarious that we finally went back to video and you just had that dream. That mm -hmm. is unbelievable. And yes, I am feeling quite red. <laughs> yeah. I knew you know what, though? I'm also, I'm also feeling like that would be the, the accurate representations of what we would do if that would happen. It feels very realistic, which makes it worse somehow yeah. for me. Yeah, right? You know what, though? I bet we would have the most uh, Twitch followers ever. If that yeah. Would ha like, absolutely. Our podcast numbers would go sky high if there was boobs. It's also and called I would, being banned from Twitch. It's also called me never teaching again. Here's, here's um. the thing. 
Christy, though, in the dream, Fair. I didn't see boob. The most I saw was Jackson's hand going down your shirt, and then I slammed the computer shut. So <laughs> That's good, at least. <laughs> at least your brain was censoring. Thank you. Thank you, oh. brain. Finally, I yes. get to say, thank you, brain. I'm still bright red. And speaking of red. Mm -hmm. <laughs> good segue. Thank you. Thank you. We are talking this week about the case of Alger Hiss. Agent I of had Cobra. <laughs> I had no ah! idea about this. <laughs> Seriously, this is all very new to me. Now, Alger Hiss was born on November 11th, 1904. He was one of five children. His parents were Charles Alger Hiss and his mother was Mary, but she went by the name Minnie. Both of his parents were from good families. Uh, he was born in Baltimore and the family was really cemented there. They weren't necessarily rich, but they were connected and their name was known all about town. So it was that kind of family. He was known to be a good kid. He listened to his parents. He was very reasonable and he was called quite a brave child. His father worked for a company importing dry goods and worked his way in, in a, quite a short time up to executive and held some stocks in the company. Meanwhile, Minnie was big in society and she had memberships in lots of the prestigious clubs about town, which seemed to distract her from the children a bit. You know what I found out uh, that was extremely interesting? Uh, his, his family was German. And you're like going like, Hiss, that's kind of a weird name. So I looked up, it turned out that Hiss's paternal great-great-grandfather had emigrated from Germany in 1729 and changed his surname from Hess, as in like Rudolf Hess, to Hiss. So which is worse, like the, the weird G.I. Joe Cobra analogy, or you're fucking named after a Nazi in the 1950s? Yeah, right? <laughs> Kind of rough going with the name there. <laughs> but then, then again, I mean, fuck it. We, we uh, elected someone named Barack Hussein Obama in a very anti-Muslim time in history. Barack Hussein Obama, which would That's be kind of like, in the 40s, that'd be kind of like electing like, you know, uh, Adolf Mussolini Pitler. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just one letter off. Yeah, really? This family ended up being pretty big. Eventually it would be, uh, Alger was the fourth of five children with two sisters and th three brothers. That doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> 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 that does not add up. <laughs> so so I believe there was two sisters and two brothers and he was the third brother. Okay, thank you. Yes, that math was not working. I was like, what? What did I write? Okay. Um, but years before he was born, in 1895, his dad's brother died quite suddenly. So his dad essentially took in the widow along with her six kids. Um, and at this point in time, the, the Hisses had one toddler girl and another child on the way. The families didn't live together, but essentially Hiss's dad took care of the other family. And of course, naturally, they would spend a lot of time together, you know, Alger and his siblings with their cousins. So it seems like this very like big family environment was what he grew up in. And but Charles had to leave his company 
he got his brother-in-law a job there and there was an issue his brother-in-law messed something up and essentially charles had to cash in his stock to pay for it and leave his job and that was during the great panic which wasn't great for his mental health and he did end up committing suicide when alger was about two and a half but of course when you're that young and something big happens in your family you don't know about it for several years you're you're, you're kept in the dark about it for good reason i mean you're not gonna tell a two, two and a half year old that his father killed themselves he's not gonna understand that he's not gonna be able to process it um so that was uh, did become an issue for him later there was 100000 in life insurance, $284,000 today, and Minnie used that to keep the family going, and she basically decided that her focus was going to be, in addition to her clubs, getting the girls married off and getting the boys into good schools so that they could be successful. Alger did eventually find out about the suicide, and he considered it a stain on the family name. And that's when he kind of started looking for replacement father figures. His brother would be one for a while. And then Supreme Court justices, essentially, or future Supreme Court justices. Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes was one of his replacement father figures. And Alger would work for him later. I had a dream that my dad was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> I'd take it. So... <laughs> Uh, Alger went to Johns Hopkins for his undergrad. In 1926, he graduated, and then he went on to Harvard Law. And But his time in college and law school, there were family tragedies kind of popping up all over the place here. It had to have been pretty rough. In 1926, his older brother, Bosley, who was one of his father figures, died of Bright's disease. And then in 1929, another suicide hit the family when his sister Mary Ann died. She was depressed due to some ongoing financial issues and um, drank some caustic cleaner type stuff. And that just sounds pretty, pretty horrible. That's what we call the it's the end cocktail. Oh, yeah. Oof. So Alger would go on to marry a girl named Priscilla Fansler. Uh, they had had, I don't know if you'd necessarily call it a relationship ongoing. They'd had a flirtation that he thought was something more until she visited. She was sitting on his lap in a car and she just announced that she was going to marry a man who was in the process of divorcing. She did marry him and her name became Priscilla Hobson. But within a few years, they divorced again because this guy is just like divorce-a-rama. And she, at the time, ha also had a two-year-old son. So, I mean, it, at one point during this time, he came over to see her. They were going to go to the opera, and he thought he was going to stay for the weekend. So he thought this was going to be, you know, his big night. So he bought a diaphragm for this purpose. And Priscilla found out and just got a huge kick out of it. She called him a virgin boy. And she was like, look, okay, that's not how it works. Uh, every woman is not exactly the same. So they need to be fitted. And she also had another guy staying at the department or, or at, at her apartment. So that didn't really pan out for him. I don't know what the big deal is. Your microphone ain't going to work with one. <laughs> yeah. So eventually... They did get married, but the family was not really looking kindly upon it. His mother already knew 
about some of Priscilla's history and did not really see her in a favorable light. And on their wedding day, his mother actually wired him, do not take this fatal step. Which, Ooh. yeah, he, he went ahead and took it. And I, I don't think it was fatal. Um, and only his brother Donald attended their wedding after his whole, out of his whole family. So that's pretty rough. Now, the thing is, he had just started working as Holm, uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes' secretary at this point. And apparently it was a standard rule that he didn't know about that you're not allowed to be married if you're a secretary to a Supreme Court justice. What the fuck kind of rule is that? That's so weird. It's very weird. He managed to get it cleared and, and Holmes was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And actually, like, sent him off on a honeymoon. And so you can get the blowjobs. Apparently. Secretary's <laughs> got to be single so so they can mingle. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That is such a weird... You're not allowed to wear two left shoes, even no matter how fucked up your feet. That's such a weird rule. You can't and be it's, married. It's worse than two left shoes because it's highly imposing on your social life. You yeah. know, it's like... It's 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 very restrictive and really weird, but... There's, there's got to be some, some sort of reasoning behind this. Because I... A couple of years ago, I actually met a guy who was in the Air Force who told me, yeah, you know, the stealth bombers, they don't let you fly them unless you have a family. And I couldn't make sense of that. Why, why would you not let somebody fly a stealth bomber unless you had a family? And he goes, uh, he goes Scott, you got to think about this in a different way. He goes, uh, they want you to bring that plane back. You need a reason to bring, bring that plane back. And if you don't bring that plane back, they want hostages. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's, it's so you don't go kamikaze. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I, I know from my stint in the military that I actually was, uh, I was discharged because I was not married. Because if you have a child, you cannot be active duty unless you are married or sign away your parental rights because they don't want you to go to war and leave that child an orphan. Ah. Mm. So they have a lot of, like, especially in the government and the military branches, branches there's a lot of different rules to um, help preserve the family in a way. Or the equipment in some cases. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't. I don't understand that you can't be married. The only thing maybe. that makes sense is if you whore out the secretaries, or maybe it's just so that your entire focus is on this job. Yes, get in here and show Judge Roberts your man pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever yeah. seen a tighter man pussy? <laughs> it's a very strange thing. If you happen to know the reason, come by our social media on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, Old Timey Crimey on all those places, and tell us, because we are curious. I guarantee it's got something to do with a butthole. <laughs> so the, the <laughs> newly minted hisses after he finishes Holmes' secretary, they move to New York, and it's here that they saw the effects of the Depression a lot more clearly than they had previously, Priscilla started volunteering for essentially a soup kitchen and going to socialist party meetings. And Alger would occasionally join, join her for those. Keep in mind, I want to establish right now, I said socialist, not communist. And the two are different things. So that's that. Now, she registered as a socialist in 19, 1932, 
But she said, I never joined the party. This was just for voting's sake. Because it wasn't like when we're Democrats or Republicans or independent, whatever. And here in Pennsylvania, you can do that at the driver's license center when you're getting your license. And you just pick one on the screen and move on with your life. And you get a card in the mail a couple of weeks later with your voter registration stuff on it. It's not like that. You actually had to like get a card, a party card, and somebody had to like sign you in essentially to the party. So it was a little different. Uh, Alger was in private practice at this time, and he even was offered an appointment in the Justice Department and turned it down. He didn't seem too keen on government work, and uh, eventually he had to be sort of roped into it. In the meantime, he joined, and I hope that I wrote this right and that it isn't a typo, the International Juridical... (laughs) That just sounds horrible. That sounds like the reason why they won't let secretaries get married if you're working for an injustice. No juridical for you. (laughs) It sounds like something somebody with a thick Spanish accent would say. You're a juridical. You'll know that, man? It's probably juridical. I like juridical. That works. Yeah, yeah. I I like it the first way. The International Juridical Association and wrote for its periodical. Now, this is the IJA was formed in 1931, and the House Un-American Activities Committee, which we're going to run into a lot later, um, called it, quote, another early communist front for lawyers, and also said it was a group that, quote, constituted itself an agent of a foreign principle hostile to the interests of the United States, end quote, and the group later would make it to the FBI's subversive group list. Uh, lawyers are a lot of things, but communists, they are not. They are a threat to the American way, but they're not <laughs> communists. He would uh, finally go into government work. Eventually, he was recruited into the Department of Agriculture in 1933, but only after his uh, professor from law school and another substitute father figure as well as uh, someone who would I I didn't look it up but either was at this time or would eventually be another Supreme Court justice the wonderfully named Felix Frankfurter (laughs) implored him to take the position because he called it a national emergency which it was the depression Department of Agriculture pretty key at that point so yeah makes sense that you want the you want smart people and good people in those positions during a period of national emergency and um we know nothing about that right now so not not a thing not a damn no. thing no it's the fucking political old west out there yeah, right now it really is some of his coworkers were communists and really the thing was a lot of Jewish people actually joined or were at least attracted to the idea of joining the Communist Party because at the time, it was one of the only groups that was intermittently, but still, resisting Hitler. So that was a draw for them. And it makes perfect sense. You know, if, if there's this threat out there to your people 
And everybody else is saying, oh, it's fine. Or we're, you know, we're not necessarily on his side, but we're neutral or even worse. We're on his side. And you have this one group of people. You may not necessarily always agree with them from an ideological point of view, but they are the ones who are like, no, this guy's dangerous and he's going to hurt your people. Yeah, I'd be I'd be there, too. Absolutely. The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. Yeah, of course. What about the enemy of your enemy's enemy? Sure, why not? I think that's just, I think if you're in league with the enemy of your enemy's enemy, I think you're just talking about yourself at that point. It could be. <laughs> yeah. It could be. Unless somebody has a lot of enemies. Now, there was an issue in 1935 when some of his colleagues were fired and he was ideologically aligned with them. So that kind of stuck with him in the future in his reputation. He was essentially considered for a little while radical by association and i think that eventually graduated to just plain this guy is a radical in, been, in many people's eyes i've been called that but it was just because i hung out with a bunch of skateboarders oh <laughs> radical by association is definitely my 80s surf band name mm-hmm. i see that <laughs> so along comes a man yeah baby this man's name is Whitaker Chambers, but Hiss knows him as George Crossley. And what happened next depended on who you asked of the two of them. And this would be quite the point of contention later on. So Alger said that Chambers was a freelance writer who was doing an article on the committee that Alger was on and he's like so you know I let him interview me I gave him transcripts from committee hearings this was all standard stuff to working with journalists to try to get the information out there we had lunch together a few times and then he needed a place to stay for a few months so I was like hey my apartment's empty because I moved to a new place but still got a couple months left I'll sublet that to you and gave him an old car um, but Alger said that Crosley or Chambers turned out to be kind of a deadbeat and the friendship ended on a sour note. Now, Chambers' story is quite different. Chambers' story is that he was in D.C. to essentially get communism up and running as he was uh, aligned with the Communist Party at the time. And he made friends with Hiss because eventually Hiss would be in a man in high places and could exercise influence to get communist po- policies into place. And Chambers is like, I was at his house all the time, late into the night. He didn't give that car to me. He gave it to the Communist Party. He was my closest friend in the party. And when I eventually quit, I actually went to his house and I tried to talk him into quitting, but he just wouldn't. Very different stories here. Very different. Some would say completely different. Some would say absolutely opposites. So in 1936, his starts at the State Department and he was still there uh, eight years later in 1944 at which point he was part of multiple conferences that would eventually lead to the founding of the UN, including the Yalta Conference, which out of all the conferences they listed, I was like, I know that one, (laughs) sort of. Yeah. I think they mentioned it on an episode of Golden Girls (laughs) for some reason. That's something Betty White was at. Yeah. So his was actually, when they made up the, the final UN charter at the San Francisco conference, Hiss was the one who brought it back on the plane. 
he was the secretary general of that particular conference. And the charter, the charter had a parachute and they put a forwarding address on it just in case there was a crash. They did not put a a parachute or a forwarding address on his. (laughs) And they also apparently didn't know how to copy things. Come on, make multiple copies. This is, this is amateur shit. Why not just email it? Yeah. Okay, I know that wasn't possible, but you could have two copies of a document. Everybody signs both of them. You, could you know, have, maybe even you could have faxed it. They had faxes back then. Well, probably the fax probably took up a whole city. So, do you know? Do you know how old the fax machine is? I mean, how old is it? You're, this is going to blow your mind. Okay, I'm okay. going to get the exact date. I'm ready for my mind to be blown. The fax machine was invented. In 1843. Holy Holy shit! What? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Yeah. It was invented in 1843 by an Alexander Bain as the electric printing telegraph. Wow. And it is only used by the company I work for nowadays. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, you'd like like to move into your new apartment? You're going to have to fax us that lease agreement. That is that is insane! Wow, yeah. thank you for that that uh, that mind blowing knowledge, Scott. There there are so many inventions out there that we think of like oh, it's probably invented in the seventies or you know maybe the fifties that actually go back way the fuck farther. Like wow, Ni- Nintendo, that fucker is old. You know, one of my favorite articles I think I ever read was um, you would never believe that these two things existed at the same time. And it would it would give you two different points of history and be like, this was the same year, bitch. Like and I was like, like blew Ox- my mind. Like Oxford and the fucking Aztec Empire. Yeah. 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 Existed, existed at the same time. Old. Mammoths and the pyramids. Yep. That was the one that, that drew me in was mammoths and the pyramids. I'm like, are you, are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's insane. We have a very skewed idea of time. Well, we, we weren't there. there. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's true. That helps. Some of us yeah. were. Uh, Nintendo, by the way, for those of us, those of you curious, the Nintendo company was made uh, was was created September twenty third, eighteen eighty nine. Yeah, but they they made other stuff for a really long time until they started making Nintendo and like the like the actual video game systems. Nope, what were they? They were nope. making something else beforehand. I'm sure of it. Or maybe that's Atari. It was it was a log that you jammed an ant hill in, and that was your game. Okay, well it's a game. That it's was not a, a video joke. Game. They didn't actually do that. <laughs> hey, how am I supposed to know? I was really boring in the 1800s. You really had to you had to like wait for some guy yeah. to like dead guy to roll up to your freaking sardine boat. Yeah, that's this is true. This is true. <laughs> that's check a little out, little little out. drop from our old tiny crimey this tiny, week. So tiny. that's that's for the patrons. <laughs> actually, Nintendo made made playing card games back in the 18 There we go. 89. Okay, it's, it's so funny that your your joke was so close to like what I believe to be reality. <laughs> but right. you know what? It's amazing because you have, you have all this all this history, and then we have this year that has gone on for eighty seven years, and we're only in August. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm very much feeling like the uh, the Titanic gif of you know the the old lady like it's been eighty nine years or whatever it was that she said, and I feel like that's twenty twenty. 
that, yeah. that that gif is 2020 in a nutshell along with several other things so okay it's the year that never ends no! <laughs> my friends <laughs> all right back to alger hiss yeah he was instrumental in uh the creation of the un along with many many other people but he was a big part of all of that so much so that the john birch society called the un quote the house that hiss built end quote and they were far right wing so to them that was not a compliment i consider it a compliment so i was pretty impressed i don't know about you guys but but it's got a ring to it the house that hiss built it does it really does it was it is clever i'll give them that much so he did try to leave government to go back into private practice uh but he was persuaded to stay on until 1946 and he did agree now during this period of time his stepson, so that would be Priscilla's son from her marriage to the guy who likes to divorce people. He's he's basically the Ross Geller of this episode. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make J. Edgar Hoover Phoebe? Sure, why not? <laughs> so sometime during this period of time, it was during World War II, his stepson, Tim Hobson... He was in the Navy V-12 program, which was put into place to help with the fact that colleges were experiencing declining enrollments during World War II. So they would basically, it was kind of a partnership between the colleges and the military where the, the colleges would help train officers in order to meet the war's demand because you needed more officers. And so they did all this training there. So some notable grads of the V-12 program Johnny Carson. What? Paul Newman. Okay. RFK. Jack Lemon. And Leo Ryan, who was uh, the, I believe, congressman that was killed after visiting Jonestown right before the massacre. That's a, that's a lot of famous people. I'm waving to Max. <laughs> oh, hey, Max. <laughs> He's over here like, why are they wearing headphones? <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, a lot of uh, some, some interesting, very uh, notable names there. And that's just the ones that are in like entertainment or well known from co from government. Imagine now, how many spies are in there that we don't know about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's got to be. So the naval commandant calls up. Alger hiss and is like, okay, we have a little bit of an issue with your stepson. He's claiming that he's gay and wants a discharge. And obviously this in the military is not really uh, ideal to those in power and wouldn't be for another mm, more than half a century. See, it's, it's, a, <laughs> damn, is so slow. it's a damn good thing. Like no military man is ever going to call me up and say, your son's gay and wants a discharge. Because the first thing I want to say is, which type? <laughs> talking, that was right where I went. We talking, we talking like military or the cute bunk mate? Because I'm either or. I'm good with. He's my boy. I love him no matter what. That's essentially not the which kind of discharge, but he's a good boy. I love him no matter what. Seems to be how his felt about his stepson. Very um, forward thinking of the time. 
Yeah, really. He was he very much wanted to protect him. Now, he did get him to a naval hospital for psych treatment, which we know now is not what is needed for being homosexual, you know, but at the time it was what they felt they needed. And what you need Hobson, if you're homosexual is a big fat cock. Yes, exactly. That's, that's what you need if you're straight, too, in fairness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have one of those things, but let's let's not I don't mean to brag. So uh, uh, not long after Hobson was actually discharged and he cut his family out of his life for a while. I think he just needed to go off and do his own thing. He ended up working in television some and, you know, like behind the scenes stuff. And he'll pop up again pretty soon here, though. Um, you, you know what I found, find weird about this particular time? Being gay is an extremely bad thing. Unless you take it way too fucking far. And then being gay is okay. Who are you referencing exactly? Everybody knew Liberace was gay. Well, when was Liberace during this time? I felt he was more like 60s, 70s. Hmm. I mean, we can go back further and do Oscar Wilde. Well, uh, but Oscar Wilde, uh, that did not end up well for him. That's true. Vincent, okay. Raymond Burr. Okay. All right. All Vincent right. Price, who wasn't gay, um, was bisexual. Liberace, Liberace, rather, excuse me, was at the Liberace. height. Liberace. Uh, he was at the height of his fame in the 50s to 70s. Okay. It does seem like he started moving from, and I do think that the Wikipedia article here that I'm looking at right now is, is being a little uh, tongue-in-cheek with their wording. Between 1942 and 1944, Liberace moved away from straight classical performance and reinvented his article to one featuring pop with a bit of classics. Or as he called it, classical music with the boring parts left out. Oh, Liberace, you're awesome. Liberace uh, was fucking awesome. I love yeah. me some Liberace. So it does seem like he was he was rising in in public renown, and and you know people were starting to know him in the '40s, and he was starting to establish himself and his style. So, so yeah, yeah, I think during this period, yeah, you're right. It, I think, I think what it comes down to in a lot of these cases that you've mentioned is like with Raymond Burr, like with Liberace, if the public loved you, you could quote unquote, get away with it. Yeah. You know, he didn't overtly come out and say, Hey everybody, I'm gay. But everybody <laughs> went, wow, that dude is not straight. So we're going to use the term confirmed bachelor. You yep. sounded, you sounded like Harry Carey. It, there, I mean, you listen to Liberace. There is a little bit of Harry Carey in there. Like if Harry <laughs> Carey was sober and just had like a nice little champagne buzz and just how oh, gay as all hell. That's that's <laughs> Liberace. Fucking Liberace was great. Charles Nelson Riley, confirmed bachelor. That man fucking I love that guy. OK, not all that right. way. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, sure. All right. We absolutely <laughs> believe you. Mm -hmm. So it's around the end of the war-ish that sort of accusations start being whispered about Alger Hiss. In the summer of 1945, he comes back from a UN session or a conference, something like that, and he finds out that two congressmen are planning to name him as a communist. In the, he consults with the Secretary of State about this, and the Secretary of State is like, call J. Edgar Hoover, 
who is head of the FBI at the point at that point in time. So he does, and he's interviewed, and he they clear him. He said the interview was kind of perfunctory, like it didn't really seem like they were trying, but it does seem like questions remain for some people, like, for ex- example, the Secretary of State. And the French intelligence had already listed him and his brother Donald as communist agents. If I say commie at any point in time, it's because I got sick of typing communist, so... It's commie all through my notes. It's, it's my, my notes are red with commie. Oh, <laughs> um, I see what you did there. <laughs> keep doing it. Not going to stop. Not going to stop. Um, and they actually had listed them as communist agents for years. So he was still, despite this, uh, you know, like whispers and rumors, recruited to be president of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, which is a think tank that's not really politically aligned with any ideology. Okay. Ideology. It's a lot of L's is the problem here. He's not really politically aligned with any ideology or party. There, I did it. And there were questions throughout this entire process of him becoming president of the endowment. But his bosses seemed satisfied that he was perfectly patriotic in in 1945 uh there was a there was the paper which i believe is probably one of your uh one of your guys accusing his of being a communist uh written by cronin called the problem problem blah, called the problem of american communism in 1945 cronin wrote in this in the state department the most influential communist has been Alger Hiss, fucking named, right in a yeah, paper, named. right in a paper, and one of one of Hess's uh, one of Hiss's greatest detractors was Congressman Richard Nixon. Uh, he described Hiss's demeanor as insolent, condescending, and insulting in the extreme. And we all know how history looks so favorably upon Richard Nixon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> how bad very- of a, how bad of a president do you have to be? To fuck up your reputation whenever you put men on the moon. Yeah, right? right? That's seriously. Right? <laughs> that's like, I mean, even Trump, even Trump's like, well, ah, good one, Nixon. So <laughs> Richard Nixon, the high score dumbass. Yeah. yeah and he's going to pop up a lot later on. Now, during this time, this is a name I want you to keep in mind because it doesn't pop up a lot, but it comes in later and it's kind of important. I feel like maybe. Um, Ben Mandel was a friend of Whitaker Chambers. They were close friends. And he was actually under a pseudonym, the one who issued Chambers' Communist Party card. And he was also, of course, if he issued it, he was in the Communist Party until there was a Stalin purge, at which point he completely swung the other way and became vehemently anti-communist. And then went to work at the State Department. And this was around the same time that Hiss was there. And in 1946, he actually claimed in conversation and letters that he knew people who could prove Hiss was a commie, which feels very hearsay-ish to me. You know, it's like, well, I know a guy who knows a guy. It was, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think so. That, now, in- honest to God, the, like the whole thing of like the government pointing at other people and saying this guy's a communist, this guy's a communist, it, it smacks of that picture of Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to have to like alter that and put it up on the social media. (laughs) (laughs) So in 1947, uh, Hiss is living in New York City with his family. He's working for the endowment, at which point two FBI agents stop by and they present to him a long list of names and say, do you know any of those people? Um, that list of names includes Whitaker Chambers. Hold on, hold on. We're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of old timey crimey theater. So I'll be hiss. You be the guy with the list. Go ahead. So uh, uh-huh. hiss. Yeah, yeah. That's that's me. I'm the Snake Man. Hiss. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give you this list, huh? Yeah. It's it's 29 million pages. Okay. And I need you to look at every single one of these names and tell me, have you ever attended a cocktail party with any of them? You do it, man. Right here. Right here. Go ahead. Here's uh, page one. Richard Nixon. Fucked him. (laughs) Page two. Raymond Burr. Over the pants hand job. Page three. Liberace. Got an asshole like as fucking tight as the O-ring on the space shuttle. Page four, Whitaker Chambers. Oh, sweet cock. Sweet No. (laughs) He says, I don't know him. Oh. (laughs) I mean, I have no idea that his penis bends to the left because I've never heard that name before in my life. Because he remember, he knew him. uh, uh, He claimed that he knew Chambers under the pseudonym Crosley. Mm. So if he sees Whitaker Chambers on there and if he legit only knew Chambers as Crosley, he's going to say, I don't know that guy. You know, if you only knew me as uh, Susie Sunshine and then uh, they presented you with a list that had me listed as Christy Baxter, you're not going to fucking know. You're going to be like, I don't know any any Christy Baxter. I only know Susie Sunshine. She's got sunshine coming out her ass. (laughs) Perky as shit, that bitch. I think we just found out Christy's OnlyFans name. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Today's whole episode is just me making her turn beat red. (laughs) <laughs> it really is. I don't need blush today. I've got Scots. <laughs> so let me experiment on rabbits. So to <laughs> clarify, they present him with this list. It's many, many names. Whitaker Chambers' name is on this list, and his is uh, like, no, I don't know the guy. So now enters Huack. <laughs> this is. The House Committee on Un-American Activities, but the a couple of letters got switched up there in the acronym, so it's known as HUAC. Uh, precursors of this actually go back as far as 1918, different committees that were formed to investigate pro-German sentiments, sympathy toward, towards Bolshevism, Nazi propaganda, and you know, basically whoever we were, you know, the Americans were scared of at any given moment, which not to say you shouldn't be scared of, you know, like Nazis, but, you know, the at it, 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 various times we also like to pinpoint an enemy and, and just charge everybody against that person and it gets patriotism up and, you know, it, it, it's, it's good for morale to have a common enemy. Remember, we weren't always afraid of Nazis. There's, there's some place, I want to say it's here in Pennsylvania, that they had to, a few years ago, had to raise all the trees because it was like this pro-Nazi Boy Scout camp and they tra- painted trees on the side of the hill in the shape of a swastika. And every fall, these trees would have a huge swastika on the side of the uh, on the side of the hill that could be seen from the road. I'd like to say I'm shocked that th- this was maybe in Pennsylvania, but I like to I'm think they not. were. I like to think they were maple trees, so they were Canadian Nazis. Oh my god! That seems like it shouldn't be a thing. 
That yeah, that's that sounds like an oxymoron to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah it really does. Uh, this uh, you know different groups in this. Um, of course, they they also looked for suspected communists. During World War II, this was a committee that recommended internment of Japanese Americans in pretty horrifying terms. Like, if you don't know this part of history, during World War II, people who were legitimately American citizens but came from Japan were taken and put into camps. George Takei of Star Trek being one of them among many, many and it was truly a horrifying and very dark moment in our history. Among, among many, there's 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 a lot. We've We're done a trying lot of- to make it dark right now. We have people in camps right now. Oh yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we haven't really stopped that shit. We just kind of, you know, just it's I, oh god. Mm, get I, the press, guys. <laughs> I enjoy a good QAnon conspiracy just as much as the next guy. But listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to our listeners out there. If you believe the shit that QAnon spouts, you've got a problem. Donald Trump is not fighting uh, reptilian, Satanist pedophiles in the government. Um, Wayfair is not selling children along with their furniture. If you re- that was cool though. <laughs> Did you read that? That was really uh, yeah. I'll be the first to admit it's cool. Everybody likes to think, oh yeah, the reptilian overlords are are sending me furniture with children stored inside. Who doesn't want that world? I ask who would, you. Who would pay $10,000 for an ugly cabinet? Right? Like- well, <laughs> you have a child that's been put by uh, put by a reptilian overlord in there. All of a sudden, it's kind of cool. Who doesn't want to live in that world where we get to fight the monsters from V, the miniseries on NBC this fall? But maybe we should start really investigating the 5,000 plus very real claims of sexual molestation coming out of the immigrant camps, which let's fucking face it. They're not immigrant camps. They're fucking concentration camps. Yeah, absolutely. No, I fully agree with you. They're, they're, they're looking. It's, it's all misdirection and get people all excited and united against a common cause. And the common cause is absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they won't be paying attention to the actual travesty going on right under their goddamn noses. And it's, it's fucking infuriating. Because a lot of people, a lot of people that I respected, a lot of people that I respect, friends of mine, have bought into this QAnon bullshit. I really hope that the first time you, when you said respected and it was in the past tense, that that was the true one. Because, uh, <laughs> just saying, I don't know who those people, those friends of yours are, but I hope that that, that respect has basically died a, a sad, sad death. I, I got a buddy, I got a buddy who is, is Cuban. Um, his, I'll give his first name, Michael, Michael, you need to fucking cut it the fuck out with the QAnon shit. Come on, Michael. It's bullshit. Jesus Christ, Mike. You're one of the funniest people I know, even though I know you mean it unintentionally. Cut it out with the QAnon shit. It's making you look like an idiot and you're a smart man. Mike, you're a fucking lawyer. And I look the other way on that. What? Hey, Mike, you can do better. Mike, you can do better. You can do better. We have faith in you. Step out of the horrible void that you're in and into reality. Okay, we need to actually get back to the story because uh, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot here. <laughs> Damn it, Mike. I know this hurts coming from me. <laughs> so, Go ahead, all right. All right. Now, um, of course, at one time, 
the House on American Activities Committee considered investigating the KKK, but they decided against it and didn't do so for another 20 freaking years. So From what um, I understand, those are all white men underneath those sheets. I see no problem with this. Yeah, exactly. White, white men who are proud supporters of capitalism, so they're fine. Um, now, and, and in no way comparable to Nazis. Not whatsoever. <laughs> So uh, I really hope everybody heard the sarcasm there. Uh, this uh, committee consisted of nine members of Congress and investigated anything they said threatened, quote, the form of government as guaranteed by our Constitution, end quote. I'm just burping all the time. And it's just going to make it on the microphone. I've accepted this. Uh. <laughs> so if you do know about... Everybody act- thinks that's going to be Christy. <laughs> they do actually. <laughs> Shit. Um, if you know about Huac, you would likely know it from the Hollywood blacklist and naming of names that happened in the late 40s, or its ties to McCarthyism, which is funny because McCarthy was never on the committee and he was never in the House, of which the committee is a part. He was a senator, but he just loved to accuse people of being commies. That was like his his big thing. That was his, everybody needs a hobby. And McCarthy's hobby was basically pointing and be like, commie, 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 commie. Yay. Pinko bastards everywhere. I do that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, everybody needs a hobby. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Here at Old Timey Crimey, we love playing Best Fiends. It challenges your brains with fun puzzle levels, but it doesn't stress you out, which sounds pretty awesome right about now, right? Absolutely. We love this story, how colorful and fun it is, and we love the characters. Especially Pop the Axolotl, who might just overtake Slothy as the podcast mascot at this point, because we decided foot race... And yeah, Slothy should have thought that over before agreeing to that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Has the dread built up as we go for the level check? 602. (laughs) Oh. Nice. Mm -hmm. I am coming in at 1367. Oh, you're creeping up on me. I'm at 1740. (laughs) Wow. But you're beating Jackson. He's at 1200 something. (laughs) Now, who won the last challenge? Was it you or Jackson? It was me. Yay. I, I beat all the tasks. <laughs> <laughs> I completed all the tasks and he didn't quite make it. But he tried. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, best fiends. Now, on July 31st, 1948, uh, Elizabeth Bentley, she was an American who spied for the Soviets for years, then defected and brought information to the U.S. government, testified to the HUAC and named names. She actually had told the FBI back in 1945 that Hiss was a communist, although she called him Eugene Hiss. Eugene Alger, same thing, I guess. And Hoover at that point, Edgar Edgar J. Hoover, had 
the the hisses, both Alger and Priscilla, tailed and bugged their phones and basically was like digging deep into their lives. So, Whitaker Chambers, alias Crosley, it turned out, was also a defected Soviet spy and he was subpoenaed to testify. Uh, he named names and one of those names was Alger Hiss, but he specified he was just a Communist Party member and he never said, he never at this point accused Alger Hiss of being a spy. And he also said, well, I never actually committed espionage. I was just a communist. So this is all going to come up pretty soon here. Hiss was like, nope, I am not a communist and I will come and tell you myself. And he goes to testify on August 5th. And Ben Mandel comes back into the picture here. He had worked for the committee as an investigator from 1939 to 1945. And then he was brought back for the Alger Hiss case as a chief investigator. So he just keeps on popping up here and there in really interesting positions, doesn't he? At this point, President Truman is putting the heat on the committee to just leave this be. You know, stop what you're doing. I don't know. I, I couldn't tell from the, the, the sources whether it was at this point or later. But I'm going to go ahead and say it's now that he called it a red herring. <laughs> damn damn a red you, fucking herring you gotta give him credit for that you gotta i hope it was intentional i think it probably was because we actually had an intelligent president can you tell we're tired can you tell <laughs> have you noticed we it's, don't normally bring up podcasts except for like the past six weeks or podcast we don't normally bring up politics except for like the past six weeks and all of a sudden it keeps coming up because we're so tired if somebody would have fucking told me that the two main arguments of the 2020 presidential race would be the U.S. postal system and face masks. Like, if somebody <laughs> yeah, would have right? told me that like three years ago, I would have went, "What the fuck are you smoking, you idiot?" And just, and now here we are. We're an idiot world. Yeah. Well, it was it was seeming like maybe, and this is my, is my personal opinion of this case coming out. It was seeming for a while, like due to Truman's influence, like idiot world would go just off somewhere else. For a little while until Richard Nixon comes along. Oh, he Jesus got some Christ. FBI. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's why I say every time I hear Nixon's name. Jesus like, Christ. Like as bad as Trump is, at least he's not Nixon. And that's the only nice thing I can say about him. At least he's not Nixon. Right? Yeah. And he got FBI info and used that to wrangle himself uh, as a position as chairman of the subcommittee, of a subcommittee, so a subcommittee of the committee of HUAC, to investigate the His Chambers thing. And the point of this was to figure out who's lying, who here is committing perjury, because they're telling two different stories and only one can be true. So, and also, this is, this is some slimy shit here. Nixon was consulting with His's chief at the Carnegie Foundation, John Foster Dulles, yes, Dulles, like the airport, mm -hmm. it's named after him, who was giving his advice on how to handle this as well. So that seems kind of sketch to me, just a little bit. Just doesn't seem like Dulles was on the up and up. He was, uh, I'm trying to find an airline pun. 
He was taking off. Now I got nothing. It's not happening. I'm going to move on. <laughs> You're taking off the wrong tree without a paddle in the creek. Yes, that's it. That's what I was going for. Absolutely. Word by word. That's it. I wish to God oh. you could see Amber's face right now. <laughs> Did that work? <laughs> yeah. I think it works. Sorry. I don't know. I have to have it on mute because one of the kids is having a hissy fit upstairs and literally stomping. A hissy fit! <laughs> There's a hissy fit happening, so I keep muting myself so you can't hear that. So th that's why. Let's take let's take just a second and listen to it here. No, she, oh, she, she didn't want us to hear it. She's not letting us hear it. I want to hear it! <laughs> Now Scott's throwing a hissy fit. <laughs> so uh, there was a lot at stake here. If this whole investigation was revealed to be a farce or if Chambers was lying and they had all believed him and brought his up and made this whole entire you know thing into a big scenario, that would give liberals a lot of ammunition against the committee. And Nixon credited his eventual rise to vice president and then presidential candidate, and then, as we know, president, to the Hiss case. So, and he would also, I'm going to, this is going to come up a little bit later, but uh, he would also credit something else to uh, the Hiss case, which is very interesting how uh, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's irony. It's irony. So we'll get there, but just wanted to preview that a little bit because i was kind of like huh that's uh well shit uh, yeah. so again yeah right <laughs> yeah I know exactly is. what you're talking about and that's the only really the only the only way you can go yeah well shit yeah right it's all it's all tied together in this weird tangle it's so weird yeah so they show his pictures of chambers and he's like maybe i know him but i need to see him in person so they get Chambers in person. But got for any, some reason... Got any nudes? I'll be able to tell them if you know them then, baby. <laughs> for some reason, this happens in a hotel elevator with HUAC committee members. I don't know why. This is stupid. Just do it Do it in a, do it in a regular room. Why does this have to happen in an elevator? Why the cloak and dagger bullshit? If, if you want a room that's going to be difficult as fuck to bug in the late 1940s, early 50s, I think an elevator is a pretty good choice. You're probably right. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. So this is like, oh, hey, my old friend, George Crosley. <laughs> and so Chambers goes on the stand and says, no, I never used that alias. But then in private, he's like, maybe I used it as a pen name. I don't know. And so then at one Scott, point, have you ever gone by the name Veronica X. Bancroft? <laughs> <laughs> maybe at one point chambers and hiss are in front of the subcommittee now the new york times described this as a scenario that uh was was quote pitting the slender self-possessed patrician against his portly rumpled accuser whittaker chambers a time magazine editor and one-time soviet agent end quote oh yes that's right he was also a time magazine editor at the time and his questions him, and this happens. And I have the dialogue here. I'm going to put it in the chat. Um, and uh, Scott, do you want to do you want to do a little bit more old timey, crimey theater? Absolutely. Hold on here. Let me get to the. Uh, let me find the chat here. There we go. And uh, just for the sake of continuity, uh, you can be continue to be his, and I'll be Chambers. All right. Okay. Uh, hey, hey there, uh, hey there, Big C. Uh, did you ever go by the name of George Crosley? 
Not to my knowledge. <laughs> Did you ever uh, sublet an apartment on 29th Street for me, if you know what I mean? No, I did not, and I don't. <laughs> you did not? No. Uh, did you ever spend any time with your uh, wife and child in an apartment on 29th Street in Washington when I was not there because I and my family were living on P Street? Wink. I most certainly did. You did or you did not? I did. Uh, would you... Tell me how you reconcile your negative answers with this affirmative answer. Very easily, Alger. I was a communist, and you were a communist. Dun, dun, dun! dun. It's so weird and so ridiculous. So, around this time, Tim Hobson comes back into the picture. He contacts Alger Hiss, and he's like, Hey, I know all this is happening. I can help. Because I can actually testify that Chambers wasn't at our house late into the night all the time like he claims he was. And he said, no, I will not let you do that. He said, quote, I'd rather go to jail than let that boy testify, end quote. And there's a couple different reasons we'll go into later. Um, but possibly he was afraid that maybe the opposing side would bring up the homosexuality angle in an attempt at some mudslinging. Or he just didn't want what he was going through to affect his son, his stepson's prospects. So there's a couple other possibilities, but I'm, I'm saving that for later. So, cause it, it's too, it's too much all at once. This is already, this is so, so much at once. My this, God. This is a lot of twists and turns. It took me about three or four readings through all the material that I found to kind of start to understand the twists and turns of it. Yeah. I left out more than I think I've ever left out. From what I read, yeah. it was so much. I may have cursed your name at one point, Scott, because Scott picked. <laughs> yeah. I may have been like, damn it, Scott, what are you doing this to me for? But it's an interesting story that I'm, I'm glad I know now. So I, I appreciate and curse you. <laughs> yeah. Most most women's interactions with me are like that. Cursed and then, <laughs> then really pleased. Oh. I'm, I'm joining. I'm joining a, a, a large group of, of of women who are conflicted. Very, very <laughs> satisfied, depressed women. <laughs> so uh, now his he considered Chambers' accusations to be defamation, but congressional hearings. What you say in a congressional hearing, it has immunity. You can't use that in a civil suit so he couldn't do anything about it so he's basically like hey chambers i triple dog dare you to say that outside the hearing so chambers is like oh yeah oh yeah and then he goes on to meet the press on the radio uh and says that alger hiss he's a commie and then the libel suit is on which confused the hell out of me because libel is written and slander is spoken if it's on the radio it's spoken why wouldn't it be a slander case i don't know that's a weird sidetrack, but it just confused me. It uh, might have been because anything aired on a broadcasting thing like that is also available via transcript. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So it, it could be with between transcripts and closed captioning. It's technically written as well. Yeah. Okay. Very logical. Thank you. I used to work in the legal field. I know all sorts of bad lawyer tricks. That does make a lot of sense. Are there good lawyer tricks? Because I refuse to believe that. <laughs> I, I've known some lawyers that were good at keeping me company. <laughs> Anyhow. 
Well, <laughs> so wow. no, there there were some nice ones, um, but there are definitely a lot of smarmy mm. lawyer folk. But but um, I didn't deal with a lot of the smarmy ones because we didn't do civil cases. Mm. Uh, okay. So, but there was a civil case, an attempt, and after that civil case was attempted, Chambers is all he, he's 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 com, com, keeps on just upping the ante here. He's like, "All right, fine, you're not just a commie, you're a spy," and this is where the espionage accusations finally come in. So he has to prove this. So he whips out some State Department documents that he said Priscilla retyped from his notes in order for Chambers to hand these over to the Senate. There were 65 pages in all, and also some notes in Hiss's handwriting that went up to April 1st, 1938, kind of an important date, and these are called the Baltimore Papers. Now, the reason this is an important date is because we don't know when Chambers defected because he didn't seem to know when he defected. At first, he was like, 1937. And for nine years, he stuck to that date until 1946 when he said, oh, it was March 1938, which if you'll know what, how calendars work, you'll know that's before April 1st, 1938, when the last document was dated. And then during the trial, only during the trial, he's like, oh, wait, that's right. It was April 15th, 1938. So... Yeah, that's really sketchy. Super suspicious. Literally fucking nobody knows if it happened or when it happened or how it happened. Yeah, but the thing is, we do know that by doing this, if Chambers is saying that I got these papers from Hiss and then gave them to the Soviets, he's admitting that he committed espionage. He's saying, well, his committed espionage, but uh, I was part of it, too. And I also was the one who handed them over. So, yeah. And his is like, no, these papers are not mine. But the handwriting experts kind of disagreed with him on that front. So and here comes the kind of weirdest part. Chambers took the Huac people to his his farm in Baltimore. They went to his pumpkin patch and he grabbed a pumpkin which he had hollowed out. Right. He'd filled with th this is the weirdest place to hide anything ever. Would yeah. you have looked there? No. no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's filled with five rolls of 35 millimeter film that he said he received from Hiss in 1938. Some of it was publicly available stuff. Some of it was classified. It wouldn't come out into the public for several years. So we're going to get to what that actually is in about 30 years. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you then. But Have um, they been in the pumpkin all that time? I need answers. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, just like, like eight years in, or ten years in a pumpkin. With this, the grand jury convenes. And Hiss is indicted for perjury. There are two counts. They wanted to go for the espionage, but statute of limitations comes up again. And that was in December 1948. And he actually looked forward to the trial. He was optimistic. He was confident that he would prevail. Meanwhile, poor Priscilla is an absolute wreck. There's tons of press attention on their Greenwich Village apartment. The press is trailing them everywhere they go. It is rough going for Priscilla. She's just anxious as all hell. And before the first trial, just shortly before, Hiss is forced to leave the Carnegie Endowment, uh, so he loses his job. 
Now, there were not one, but two trials. The first one had a hung jury. They were deadlocked eight to four, and four were for acquittal, which it was said that that was the only time that Hiss showed surprise during the two trials when he found out that eight of his uh, fellow Americans believed he had done it or he had lied or whatever, believed he was guilty. That was when he was shocked. He was like, eight people think I, what? So that was an interesting little tidbit there. Um, But this trial featured Chambers, of course, as a star witness, at which point he admitted perjuring himself and that perjury included dates. He had lied about dates under oath. Hmm, I wonder what kind of dates those could have been. Maybe the ones that involve him, like, you know, leaving the Communist Party and when it happened in relation to the documents he presented. Maybe, I think, probably, possibly, uh, I'm torn. He like the fruit. <laughs> well, he's got a pumpkin patch, so yeah. you know, he probably has, you know, a date patch. He has more documents hidden in the dates. <laughs> and those documents have dates too okay film goes in the pumpkins documents go in the dates anything that's like uh anything that's like on microfish obviously goes over in the watermelon patch and don't flush the toilet on the third floor because that's where i had richard nixon's condoms <laughs> so if you'll keep in mind here you'll note that chambers has admitted to espionage if true and if it becomes a fact that Hiss has perjured himself, then that means Chambers is telling the truth, at which point that means he's committed espionage, but he also admits to committing perjury. It's a real I'll drag you to hell with me moment. Except he doesn't get dragged to hell. Chambers comes up free and clear. It's really irritating because he he fucking admitted to committing perjury the very thing that they're accusing his of doing it's like if you if you can accuse his of doing it why can't you just take hit chambers's words yeah anyhow it's it's very infuriating and it's stupid and then reagan comes up later and it gets even more stupid so there are also expert witnesses for the prosecution that match the documents to the typewriter and even they brought the typewriter into evidence and that typewriter comes up later too and the defense produced character witnesses for his that included Adlai Stevenson, who was a presidential candidate and a good friend friend of uh, his, Felix Frankfurter, his former professor and now Supreme Court Justice. You would think they would be pretty fucking believable. But Nixon, after the hung jury verdict comes out, he goes before Congress and he denounces the hell out of it. He criticizes the judge and he picks two of the judge's other rulings and really picks at those and goes to town on those as well, criticizing the hell out of those, which the judge that would come in the second trial, interestingly, he had, he had opposed those rulings. So it's really weird there. Now, the second trial went from November 17th, 1949 to January 21st, 1950. This time, again, the judge was different from the first trial. Uh, well, the biggest change was was that the judge allowed testimony from a former Soviet spy who had said that she'd seen Hiss at a party and he tried to get another spy to switch teams to his spy ring and it's all very subterfuge and cloak and dagger and I'm sorry, I don't believe it. Are you allowed to do that? So uh, you're spying uh, against America for the communists on the the A-team. Do you want to join the B-team? 
we've got better insurance. What would it fucking matter? You, you, I kind of think of like spies as like, like if you're spying for Russia against America, I think that you're all on the same team, Russia versus America. No spy is going to be like, yeah, I'm a spy. Are you a spy? Okay, we can talk shop. Like, that yeah. would never happen. Right? <laughs> Where are these fucking spy meetings happening? They don't because they're not real. Like, if they're not on your team, you aren't talking to them or you die. So there's no way that they were like, are, you're a spy too? You want to you wanna talk shop and maybe have a tango? And I'm like, sorry, like Alger Hiss, he's a good-looking man. He is high-profile. He is in the public eye. That's a fucking horrible spy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, he, I don't know that he's good-looking. He looks like he's got a stick up his butt, but it could be something he's hiding there for future uh, missions. It, it depends on the picture. In some pictures, like the pictures that were taken during like trials and commissions. But you know like, exactly what I'm good. talking about. <laughs> But in other pictures, he does look like a handsome man, I will say. So Here, Here's the thing. Really, really good spies. Like, you only know about the bad spies. Yeah, it's, Re it's, it's kind of like murderers. Exactly. <laughs> really, really good spies. And I've, I've heard it said by people in the CIA. I've heard it said on, on numerous shows. Really good spies do not look like Pierce Brosnan and Sean Connery. Really good spies look like Scott Mort. They need yeah. to be able to blend. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, like, if really good spies looked like that, I would probably commit espionage just to meet them. Like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Like well, fucking Daniel Craig walks in, not a dry seat in the house, just sploosh. Snail, snail trails everywhere. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. The jury uh, definitely believed all this, and they came back with a guilty verdict. Um, according to Anthony Summers, quote, his spoke only two sentences in court after he had been found guilty. The first was to thank the judge. The second was to assert that one day in the future, it would be disclosed how forgery by typewriter had been committed, end quote. And like I said, this is really how McCar McCarthy used this as a jumping off point to start accusing everyone of communism. Uh, Hiss got a two to five year. He, no, sorry. He got two five year sentences to run concurrently. Um, if you don't know sentencing, how that works, there's concurrent and consecutive. Concurrent is if you have multiple sentences, they all run at the same time. So essentially two five year sentences concurrent is one five year sentence. Um, consecutive is they're back to back. Uh, so uh, two five year con con consecutive sentences is a 10 year sentence, essentially. So, uh, and of course, with all this, he is disbarred. He ends up, not too far from us, at uh, Lewisburg Federal Prison, uh, which we pass every time we go to the in-laws. So uh, he's there actually, as always happens, for three years and eight months, so a shorter time. Now, he could have ended up at Danbury, which was much closer to his home and would have been the logical choice, except that that was considered kind of a posh prison. It was a country club prison, and they didn't want him to serve easy time, or at least that was the theory. Before he went, he visited with Austin McCormick, who was the former deputy director of the Federal Prison Bureau, Bureau and at that point was head of the Prison Aid Society. And as 
he was getting into that position, he had himself voluntarily tossed into jail multiple times so he could get an idea of what it was like in order to be able to give sound advice to prisoners. And wouldn't we fucking love it if somebody were around doing that shit today? I think it would be a good excuse for getting arrested multiple times. Just trying to get a good idea of what it's like to be a prisoner. I don't, I don't need an excuse. I'm really <laughs> contemplating getting myself arrested right now. Oh, <laughs> dear God. She's patricide. That's... <laughs> so did you know Amber well? <laughs> yeah. What I'm going to be asked tomorrow. <laughs> so um, I would do great in prison. I will have you both know. You would you would kick ass. You would be head of every gang, not just one gang, but you'd be head of all the gangs. It would be unity under Amber's rule. So now the conversation they had with McCormick, Hiss is like, well, I could go to work in the infirmary. And McCormick's like, well, no, that could be an issue because if prisoners want drugs, they want you to deal them. But, you know, the prison doesn't want you to do that. So you could get in trouble one way or the other with the jailers if you deal the drugs and with the inmates if you don't. So bad idea. Then Hiss is like, well, uh, I'm highly educated. I could teach. And McCormick's like, nope, because what do you think they're going to think you're teaching? Communism. Yes. So Hiss is like, all right, fine. What about the library? And McCormick's like, scratch that. That's easy work. They'll never give you that. If Barb heard that, she's freaking out right now. Yes, we know being a librarian is hard. And then McCormick's like, okay, how about this? Storeroom. And that's what happened. So it's amazing this whole like conversation that happened where he was like, where am I going to work there? Um, so Hiss's thoughts on prison. He said it was a bit cramping, but the inmates were interesting. And he said he learned more there than he did as an undergrad and actually called it, quote, a good corrective to three years at Harvard. And wow. So- <laughs> yeah. The chrome-plated right? balls. Right? The younger inmates called him Pop, which is adorable. And he played basketball, sorry, not basketball, baseball. And he read and gave other inmates advice as, you know, he's a lawyer. So it's a good, good, good friend to have in there. He did appeal. And upon appeal, the verdict was upheld. And just to understand the sheer unrelenting optimism of this guy. It said when the first trial happened, he was like, I'll win this. This will be fine. And then the second trial happened. He's like, well, okay, no, I'll win this one. And then that happened. And still he's like, I'll win appeals. He's just always so optimistic that you, you just, I just can't believe he's guilty. I'm going to go ahead and spoil that for you. I just can't believe he's guilty. So, uh, but we'll get to that. And now the aftermath of his incarceration, he was released just after his 50th birthday. And uh, he and Priscilla did stay together for five more years during which time he wrote a book in the court of public opinion was the title. Basically it was like, here's all the evidence against me. And here's all the reasons that it's wrong. Uh, The typewriter documents were forged. The typewriter was a fake. The typewriter was a fake, all that stuff. And this book is not a success. Nobody really likes it. Uh, So um, at one point while he's still with Priscilla, he starts seeing an actress. Uh, They're supposedly just friends, but Priscilla is not uh, really big on this idea. So that stops. She does eventually ask him to leave uh, on her psychiatrist's advice. And when he eventually does, because they were like kind of waiting until the last kid was out of the house, he started seeing the actress after that. Priscilla got super bitter and she was like, I'm not going to give you a divorce, even though she was the one who asked him to leave the house. It's kind of like, 
a little backwards, but she's pretty traumatized by all this shit. I kind of can't blame her. They actually did stay married. Now, keep in mind, this was all in like like the mid 50s to late 50s. Uh, they stayed married until she died in 1984. Um, he married at that point, uh, Isabel Johnson. He ma- married her a year later. They had been together since 1960. So 24 years. And then he married the girl. Wow. That's, there's a lot of like, I'll drag you down with me in this story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I feel like it, depending on what the true scenario was, maybe Priscilla might've felt like she had already been dragged down with him. And so she was afterwards, she was like, now we're going to reverse. I'm going to reverse Uno you and I'm going to drag you down with me. So yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. But at the same time, I mean, he, he was with his girlfriend and yes, they were together. What? 24 years. You said, yeah. What difference does a piece of paper make? Oh, if you're you absolutely are true. happy. In many cases, except for legally, as concerns things like insurance and uh, consider the gay marriage aspect. Like obviously, this is in gay marriage, but consider that there's a reason that that you know gay people wanted the right to marry, and it's so that they could have the same rights that straight people have when they marry, which is the ability to get on your partner's insurance, the ability to visit them in the hospital if they're sick, and make decisions on their behalf, and be their next of kin without actually having to do a whole bunch of legal mumbo jumbo. And I, I agree with that, but there are downsides too. Like I, Marcus is on my insurance and he has a much better insurance, but we couldn't all get on that. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just in the end, it's, it's a piece of paper and it's not what actually matters. Okay, so, so like, love does matter, but the ability to actually see matters. somebody before they die also matters. You know, like You know, if you've got fists, you'll get in that room. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I think I still feel it kind of feel like we're denigrating the whole fight for marriage equality that happened in that case, you know, like, no, like that they fought so hard for it. I, I understand that. Like my sister got married. What was it? 25 years ago. She had to go to Canada to get married. My yeah. brother got married as soon as it was legalized in California and still has not gotten divorced. <laughs> I'm I'm not sure why I still love my my brother-in-law, but he's no longer my brother-in-law. So, like, I don't know, like. But, like, I'm all for it. I love it. But yeah. I'm just saying that, that especially in, in the case of straight marriage, I mean, you don't need the paper. In straight marriage, it by and large is, you know, like, when they, when they kept gay couples from seeing each other when one was in the hospital, I think a lot of the times the reason was not necessarily HIPAA so much as you're gay. <laughs> and we disapprove. And therefore, yeah. we'll do whatever we can to make it difficult for you to live a, the same life that a straight person would live. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying in this specific case, I mean, she was she was happy, she was in love, she was living with her her man, regardless of what the title was. Yeah, we don't know if any complications arose, but if they did, we haven't heard about them, so it seems like it was okay. But mood um, point, mood point. Yes, uh, he after he writes his book, he needs a job. There is a talent agency that only reps blacklisted entertainers, and they say, okay, you can be our executive assistant. But you have to learn shorthand and typing. He was notoriously bad at typing. There's a reason that Priscilla supposedly typed up the documents to give to Chambers. And it's because his couldn't type. And he's terrible at both of them, both typing and shorthand. And so if that doesn't work out, eventually he works as a manufacturer, as an office manager. Uh, there he's making uh, 6000 a year, which he made 20000 a year at the Carnegie Endowment. And at some point, he also works for a stationary uh, company as a salesman where his notoriety is actually a boom because that's what got him in the door. People were like, oh, 
Alger Hiss. I might not buy anything, but I want to see the guy, you know? Like, I want to go home and tell my wife, guess who Guess who tried to sell me some paper today? Come in and see the amazing Alger Hiss. Two bits of ganda. <laughs> I feel like this company with Alger Hiss as a stationary salesman, proto Dunder Mifflin, office prequel, anybody? <laughs> I yeah? like that idea. Yeah. I yeah. haven't even seen The Office, the American version. <laughs> And only one episode of the English version. Scott. What? Scott, fix that right now. Except Start never, with season two. Never, never watch, uh, what was it, M Michael's, Scott's Tots. Never watch Scott's Tots. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't Definitely. ever watch that episode. That I stopped watching for like five years after that episode. And then yeah. I came back and I was like, all right, I can watch it again. I've recovered. I've healed. My, <laughs> my time is so limited because I am... I, I'm I'm like doing like the voice acting stuff. I'm working a regular job. I'm doing two podcasts, uh, and I'm doing a little side business now that that I'll get into in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's right. Uh, I'm making meth, uh, but <laughs> but it's just like right now I um I I'm having trouble finding just time to sleep. So I don't think I'll be watching. I don't think I'll be watching any uh, any of the office or that. Well, maybe put it put it on your list for eventually when you do have time. Eventually, How about yes. that. Eventually, yes. One show I will not fucking watch is that new Netflix show about the eleven year old twerking team. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be doing that either. But uh, anyhow, so hiss. All right, hiss. Um, he's not really doing great financially with that job where he's making six thousand a year uh, by the way that's fifty three thousand in today's money um but not comparable to when he was in the endowment which at that period of time was two hundred seventeen thousand. so that was pretty that was a lot better money and you're also living in new york that's um, a step when, down yeah when he loses his job as the uh manager or you know um office manager he has a heart attack that's his first of two heart attacks and normally from government work you receive a pension, and he should have gotten $61 a month. No, I didn't do the math. I was tired. Um, and But Congress passed an act essentially in response to his attempt to get the pension, and it was eventually called the Hiss Act so that he couldn't get it. And so Alger Hiss and the ACLU fight against this in 1970, and he started getting a pension again. Now, years later... Congress would try to keep Nixon from getting his pension. And this decision in his favor would work in Nixon's favor so that he could get his pension. How oh. weird. Fuck you, Nixon. So fucking weird. And Nixon apparently always wins. Fuck you, Nixon. So in 1960, Chambers dies of a heart attack. He is age 61. And later on, he would posthumously receive the Medal of Freedom from Ronald Reagan in 1984. And then in 1988, uh, the Pumpkin Papers Farm was designated a National Historic Landmark by, guess who? Ronald Reagan, who really had a heart on for Chambers. Holy shit. I did. I thought I didn't have enough reasons to dislike Reagan. I just it, could keep piling up. It's almost like something gay was going on. <laughs> Jesus, you guys are really hammering home the gay thing. Well, are we or are they? Yeah. 
So, so in 19... somebody's getting hammered. I guarantee it. Okay. And Amber couldn't hold it. And very soon, I'm not going to be able to either. So take a break. Dude. Take a pee. No, it's all right. I can make it. I can make it. I, I, I'm known for having the bladder of steel. Amber, remember how much coffee I could drink at Denny's in the old days before I need to hit the, hit the pisser? Yeah, yeah. So bladder of steel is one of my superpowers. I have a couple. Because right now I'm going nuts. Every time you say hiss, it makes me want to go to the bathroom. I know, right? like piss. <laughs> In 1975, after years of attempts to get the pumpkin papers, they had four requests that were denied and denied and denied and lawsuits and the Justice Department lets them out. And they are. So, okay, remember, there were five rolls of film. There's a blank roll that was overexposed. Another roll features the fascinating unclassified Navy documents with such reading material as fire extinguishers and life rafts not just fire also, extinguishers but how to paint a fire extinguisher yeah and photos of the baltimore papers so basically this evidence was just evidence of the other evidence it was meaningless and yet it made the case actually happen that to me is utter bullshit absolute utter bullshit it's it's incredible. So to like like two days later, seriously, it was like almost immediate, like snap. The ba- Massachusetts bar is like, this is so stupid. You can come back now, Alger. And he was the first attorney to have a major criminal conviction and then later be readmitted to the bar. They did not exonerate him. They said, in our eyes, you are guilty as charged, but you've done the thing you needed to do. Debt is paid, etc. Welcome back, Alger. That, that'll so teach you to fucking sell America's fire extinguisher secrets to the fucking commies. And, and let's bastard. let's not even think about those life raft secrets. Man, you just, you're just giving the whole country away at this point. Next thing you'll tell them how to make popcorn. <laughs> so after that, he worked as a legal consultant. In 1988, he wrote his autobiography. And in 1996, the NSA... This is confusing here. They released documents they just they had just declassified. Among them was a cable written by a Soviet spy in 1945 and sent from Washington to Moscow. Now, the cable said that there was a State Department official, unnamed, working as a Soviet agent who was at the Yalta conference and then after Yalta traveled over to Moscow and the code name was Ailes. Uh, he had worked for the Soviets since 1935. And then someone at the NSA made a note on the document that it was probably Alger Hiss. Hiss did say, yeah, I went to Moscow for one night after Yalta, but it was to see the subway system. Okay. All right. Believed a lot of him up until this point, And then I was like, Okay, well, you know, 1940s, 1930s, subway system, kind of new. You know, I get it, sort of. And people have weird... My dad likes trains, all right? My dad literally wouldn't, you know, like he would stay at a hotel nearby. He would pick the one in like Crescent that it's literally, we call it the hotel for old men who like trains. Because it's that's who, that's who it's advertised, who it's marketed to. It has a nice big porch with lots of rocking chairs where you can sit and you can watch the trains go by. That is a a hundred percent the perfect description. That's a horrible sequel. <laughs> yes, that is a horrible sequel to the Hotel for Dogs. 
<laughs> yeah, so everybody has a thing that they like. Maybe he drove 20 hours from Yalta to Moscow. Yes, I looked it up. Um, to see the subway system. I don't know. Um, now, he did die in 1986, the same year that information... <laughs> Scott's petting one of his Transformers. This is to prove everybody needs a hobby. Should I get out my cross-stitch? I love it. Amber and Christy, <laughs> Amber and Christy just hold up beer. <laughs> it's not beer. It's Parrot Bay. I'm sorry. Oh, I did... Oh, I, oh hang on a second. I'm, I'm uh, screenshotting that as well as I can. Uh, <laughs> you want me to do it again? Uh, yes, actually, because I have you ha handing it over. Let me get out of there. Okay, so, um, okay, uh, there we go. And that's, and that's, <laughs> and save, and. I guarantee on the old timey crimey uh, Facebook page, someone will go, how the fuck did Scott get a Skylinks? <laughs> <laughs> These, these fuckers right. are hard to find. Anyway. We are ahead, in Christy. the home stretch. Christy needs to pee. Let's finish this up. I can get through this. Okay, so um, in 1996, November 15th, just a few days or weeks, I think, after his 92nd birthday, Algerhez dies of emphysema. He had never this entire time stopped trying to fight this guilty verdict and the tarnish upon his name. His son, Tony, described the experience as, quote, the whole entire experience of the case and uh, the, the, the tarnish on their family, like living inside a fairy tale with a curse that couldn't be lifted, end quote, which just felt so surreal to me. Like I could feel it. It, it, it was very evocative. I could feel it from what he said, you know. Um, now, Hiss would later say that this was all an attempt to discredit Franklin Roosevelt, quote, from Hiss. Roosevelt himself had been so popular that it was hardly good politics to attack him directly, but he could be attacked indirectly through minor lieutenants like me. I'd been at Yalta, so that helped make me an inviting target, but if it hadn't been me, they would have found somebody else. They were looking for a target. End quote. He also said that he thought that Ben Mandel, told you to remember that name, was the real culprit. Quote, my theory is that Ben Mandel had something to do with it. Mandel worked for the committee. He worked for the State Department, although I didn't know it at the time, in their security division. He would have has, had easy access to any kind of old documents he wanted. But there are other theories. Aside, there are many theories. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's way too much to get into, but as far as the reasoning, when you get right down to it, the core reasoning for his motivation for why he hid his relationship with Chambers until he couldn't anymore. And a lot of the theories revolve around him potentially wanting to protect someone. Uh, they say, contrary to what Scott tried to imply during our little FBI docudrama there. Huh? Um, huh? Hey! They say he was not protecting a homosexual relationship with Chambers because both men said that they hadn't had one, even though Chambers admitted to other homosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. Although we will say that Chambers, I don't feel like has a, like is always telling the truth here. So but ever telling the truth. <laughs> possibility. One possibility brought up is. Maybe, and again, this is just a possibility that's brought up. I'm not saying it's the case. 
Um, Chambers maybe had a homosexual relationship with Tim Hobson, uh, the, the stepson. I kind of thought that. I, I, I'll be honest. I, no joking. I kind of thought that myself. I mean, I on the one too. hand, it, on the one hand, it's kind of taking a story where you you have two men who are gay and being like, oh, well, obviously they must have been together because they're both gay. So, you know, like they had that in common. But on the other hand... What, it doesn't work that way? Uh, on the other hand, Tim Hobson did come forward and say, I will testify. And, you know, maybe that could have been a relationship gone bad, you know, and that could have been his way of being like, well, you know, I'll get you. You got me. I'll get you. So, or there was also possibilities like his wife, Priscilla. If she was actually a communist, maybe he was protecting her or um, protecting her from, from having to go up and having her life torn apart because in the 20s, she had an illegal abortion. Not with him, but with somebody else. But she had an illegal abortion, and that could have come out. And, you know, in those days, that would absolutely ruin you. So, so yeah, there's a lot of possibilities. But essentially, that is all I have. Holy shit. Um, Scott, I curse you. I've gone, I've, the appreciation has drained out of my body, much as the urine has not. And um, <laughs> I, uh, I curse you. I all I've left is curses. I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. It, a little side uh, note. What oh, go ahead. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to let you guys uh, talk theories or side notes, whatever, and I'm going to miss this part of the podcast, and it'll be a nice surprise when I listen to it next week. There you go. Before I post it, and I'm going to pee. <laughs> We're going to cut all this out so Christy can't hear it. But anyway. <laughs> If you want to see just an absolute, like, whitewashing of the facts, I strongly suggest going to www.fbi.gov and reading the Alger Hiss case there. They... You know what? I saw that, and I literally read it. It's like four paragraphs, and I'm like, all of this is bullshit. Yeah. Like... yeah it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's vaguely the truth, you know, and but they leave out so fucking much and it's like uh, he was sentenced ending an important case that helped further confirm the increasing penetration of the u.s government by the soviets during the cold war and the fucking richard nixon uh saluting in a fucking flag waving in the background it is absolute bullshit i know like i i literally just like i, I glanced at it and i was like no click like i'm done like i can obviously tell that none of it is truthful or transparent just much like our government and uh <laughs> I, was, I was just done with it before i even started it, it was incredible to me it was incredible to me that is it surprising it's not surprising but i was okay. fucking impressed i was impressed <laughs> that somebody out there or a group of somebody's could do enough doublespeak to essentially give the truth but make it a complete and total fabrication at the same time. All right. Two words. Politicians. Mm -hmm. Lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if we want bullshit double talk, we have it in politicians and we have it in lawyers. We have it in spades. Oh. Like, there's so much of the bullshit double talk. As long as the words sound pretty, it doesn't matter if they mean anything. Get ready in November. You're going to hear this phrase. Job job rates are up 50%. And no, that's total bullshit, but it's the truth at the same time. I love Christie's space pants uh, because it'll be a thing. Let's say that America starts off with 10 jobs in January and then they drop down to five jobs in June 
and then it drops down to two jobs in August. And then they'll come out in, in September, October and go, well, the, the employment rate's up 50%. Yeah, there's three jobs where there used to be 10, you motherfucker. It's up 50% from two. You know what, though? Like, I, I feel like the scariest part is um, that this is the best we could do as a country. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, no offense to our candidates. Well, no, fuck it. Offense to our candidates. Um, we have two men that are on the verge of dementia that hardly make sense. And I don't understand how this is the best we can do. Honestly, I, I would just be voting for President Harris at this point. I am. I'm actually writing in. Uh, what? Don't you, you fucking dare write any shit in. We vote for not Trump. That is what we vote for. <laughs> God damn it! Seriously, if we if 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 he makes it to another term, I swear to God, I will blame you, Amber. I blamed Beast the first time. I won't stop blaming you. Beast I, voted I really, for Trump. Like, no, she no. voted for a third party. Oh. You know what though? Like, I really we just want like voting to... for Trump. I want to. I want to make a campaign to for everybody just to write in like John Stewart. That is a horrible idea because all that does is, is split the vote and then we lose. Not if everybody does it. The dumpster fire only continues. Uh, I do feel like you guys need to know Jamie, friend of the show, who has who has been uh, joined us for uh, an episode or two. Uh, she messaged me during this the most amazing thing on MSN.com that we're city to live in in every state. We're number one. Yeah. We're number one. We're number one. That's the only time we're number one in anything. (laughs) The medium home value, 144,700, which is half of the state's medium home value of 287,000. Poverty rate, 21.8%. State, 14.1%. Five-year average unemployment, 8.7%. State is 6%. So Ladies, there you have it. This is the reason why we're so negative and angry all the time. Ladies, stick <laughs> with me. We're going to get that mansion in Billings, Montana. Fucking rule that place. Or, or the one with all the jail cells. No, I'm not. I love that house. No, I love that house. I want to buy it for myself because I, I'm turning the jail cells into the kids' bedrooms and I can lock them in at night. I'm sure <laughs> we can have some jail cells built into the crime mansion. I'm sure nobody's calling CPS at this exact moment. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> right. say they were for children. All right. So I'm pretty sure you, if you guys caught up on anything I missed and discussion and theories and all that while I was peeing. We're good. Awesome. Okay. So uh, Amber, did you have something you leaned no, in? No, I, I, I coughed and then unmuted. That's okay, all that right. happened there. <laughs> so make sure you come check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Old Timey Crimey. We're there. There's going to be some stuff from this week's episode, and you can peruse stuff from previous episodes. Also, don't forget our Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We are there, and we have many offerings for you. We're considering revamping some stuff, so we'll let you know in the future. It's still kind of just uh, nebulous thoughts in our heads at this point in time. Um, and uh, if you are not the long-term relationship type, uh, still, I made a plea a couple of weeks ago for somebody to be the first to send us a buck on the nightstand, and nobody has. One dollar, one of you, surely can be the first and have us cheer you on extensively on this show because nobody has taken advantage of this. And one dollar, 50 cents, 
50 goddamn cents. I'm lowering the ante. I will take 50 cents. I am really whoring myself out for you guys. I'm telling you what. So please, PayPal, Detectives by the Deck, chest, son of a bitch, sorry. PayPal. <laughs> There's not even a Detectives by the Deck in PayPal. Um, Oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. PayPal us there. Leave a buck on the nightstand. Be the first. You could go down in history as the first to leave a buck on the old timey crimey nightstand. You. <laughs> Did you just say nutstand? I said nightstand, but sure, nutstand. Yeah, leave a leave a buck on the old timey crimey nutstand. You, you wench. You, you, you Randy wench. Yeah, so there's that. Um, and uh, check out my other podcast, uh, Detectives by the Decade, that I just kind of mentioned accidentally. Um, but now I'm mentioning it on purpose. Amber and Scott do some voice work there in addition to my mother. That was fun. Um, so <laughs> I hope you made her say something terrible. Oh, uh, she didn't know it because just like you guys do, I'm pretty sure. I, I, and I don't blame you. She just reads the lines that I give her and doesn't read them in context. So I got to say, talk about how Anna Zwanziger, a notorious poisoner, uh, spent some time as a sex worker. And then my mother's voice was reading how she only cho cho chose the, like, the choicest of like high class men. And I was like, she didn't even know because it's so coded and so like euphemized, euf euphemism, euphemized. Sure. Um, that she didn't even realize, I don't think that she was talking about sex work. So it, wow, that, this woman was... sure likes onions. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, it was definitely funny when I was listening. To, I was like, I made my mom talk about being a prostitute. <laughs> she didn't even know it. That's one of the, the times, the rare times I'll use the word prostitute because I think it's funny when associated with my mother. <laughs> Maybe I need more than one therapy session a month. <laughs> so anyhow. Yeah, Detectives by the Decade, check it out. I've been having lots of fun over there, and Scott and Amber have been doing a fantastic job with the voice work. I've been loving, loving, loving incorporating that in. And yeah, that's all my bullshit. What are we doing this weekend, guys? I am uh, going to work on a custom Transformer. Uh, Christy, you're going to fucking love this. Uh, I am I am turning a uh, Age of Extinction strafe which i don't blame you if you don't know who the fuck that is but i'm going to turn him into a mothman transformer nice <laughs> i love it yeah i approve i approve yes oh that is awesome i can't wait to see it you have you oh pictures we're gonna need pictures we'll do we'll do so amber what are you up to i am building a quad um uh, oh. so max got a quad for his birthday and so for my birthday I bought Kennedy a quad so that I can keep the peace and they can stop fighting about the damn quad. <laughs> so I, uh, I am going to put it together and charge it. And they now both have a quad. Although Max is now insisting on another quad in a different color because that's what my kids do. Oh my God. Um, sure. I know it's great. That's why I drink. Um, <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm putting a quad together and I'm going to let them destroy the yard as much as possible. Nice. Um, as for what I'm doing this weekend, I have noticed a trend where everything I mention, aside from working on one podcast or the other, that I'm going to do, paint my nails, cross-stitch, read a book, I don't fucking do. Ever. My nails 
are unpainted, my stitch is uncrossed, my books are unread. And so what I am doing on what are you doing this weekend portion of the podcast is I'm saying I'm not telling you I'm not saying it. And maybe I'll actually fucking do some of the things I wanted to do, like crossed it. But, but I'm not saying them. I'm not saying that. Do it. Do it. You said it. It's not going to happen. Fucked. Damn it. <laughs> but maybe I'll do some things because, and you don't know what they are, and I'm not going to say, but maybe I'll do some things that I've been wanting to do, but haven't. But I'm not going to say them right now because saying it seems to be like the opposite of a, a of a okay. self fulfilling prophecy. It's a self unfulfilled prophecy. So, so here's what you're going to do: instead of saying what you're going to do, say what Jackson is going to do, and then oh. it's pressure on him and none on you. They're going to well, fuck true. live Jackson... on stream, and I'm going to try to stop them. <laughs> Jesus, Jackson is working on our uh, revamping our entryway. We started it a year ago, and then we found a leak in the roof. And that paused progress as we needed the guys to come over repeatedly because every time it rained, we'd be like, yeah, that, that, that leak's still there. And so we basically had like a hole in the ceiling, which was fun at Halloween because we had the mannequin legs coming down. So that was that fun. was outstanding. Yes. Yeah. So and uh, so, yeah, we, we've patched that all up because it seems to be fine now. It seems to be OK. And Jackson has started putting up the ceiling tiles we picked out. We have a chandelier that we picked out because our house is full of chandeliers and we felt the need to add one because... I mean, why not? We actually call it the crown jewels because it's so fancy. And so that needs to go up, which is electrical work, which is going to be fun and the crown molding. And then oh. it'll actually be finished. And after a year of work, a lot of people after a year are, of waiting, a lot of people are going, Christy, why not have it worked on whenever it's not raining? The Johnstown rainfall per year is 45 inches. Seattle is <laughs> yeah. 37 and a half. Yeah, and the thing was is that this was all a lot of happening in the fall and the winter, and we did have some mild days when they were able to come over and work on the roof. But the thing is that tar needs the sun to melt and, and make and actually do its job. So we would still get leaks after the last time they came, but then after we started having hot weather, it probably like melted the tar and sealed everything up. So as far as we know, we're good to go because we've had a, quite a bit of rain at times and some heavy rain coming in all directions, and it's been fine, so... So yeah, that is what I'm doing this weekend is um, doing maybe things that I haven't talked about here while Jackson works on the the entryway. I'll probably help him. I'll probably be joining in that. I can say that because if he's doing it, that has nothing to do with me until I join in, which I will because he's working. So I need to work, too. So we'll probably be like painting the ceiling or something. So um, or I'll be making sure he doesn't electrocute himself. Um, so, yeah, that's that. Thank you so much for listening to our filthy word. No, I'm not it's not coming out right. It's not coming out right. I got to work on that. I got to workshop it. All right. Got, got to do a death metal. It's like get into our filthy word. I hate that so much. Oh, uh, in. <laughs> thank you. I hate it. Uh <laughs> thank you for listening to our filthy words. This has been old timey crimey and we will see you next week, you motherfuckers. Bye. Bye. So much anger. And it's energy. It's actually energy. I'm really excited that I finished Alger Hiss. <laughs> so in, in our latest review, uh, uh, Jenny called me a yokel. So I'm going to go with uh, yeehaw, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Bye. My sources this week are 
John Lowenthal, Benona and Alger Hiss on algerhiss.com, FBI.gov, the book A Tissue of Lies, Nixon versus Hiss by Morton and Michael Levitt, Wikipedia, James Thomas Gay on HistoryNet.com, and Janny Scott on the New York Times. My sources are the ever-popular Wikipedia, FBI.gov, HistoryNewsNetwork.org, and CIA.gov. I'm on a watch list now. (laughs) (laughs) I try to stay away from the watch list, so my sources this week are Wikipedia, PBS.org, NewYorkTimes.com by Janny Scott, and History.com.